I get to read our scripture for the morning. I wish the band could play that song every time I open my Bible. Just feel like I'm about to run through a wall, getting ready to go here. And it's good. It's good we feel that way because Lloyd's got a good word for us. Philippians 1, starting verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fellowship, Lord, the life that you pour into your people when we gather and we worship. God, thank you for your spirit movement working in this place, stirring in our hearts. We ask for your word to take root. God, I pray that as you sow seeds in this room, that your word would fall in fertile soil, that it wouldn't be snatched away by a distracting thought. It wouldn't be swept up by a worry. God, nothing is more important in these moments than us surrendering our mind's attention our heart's affection to you and being changed for your glory. So we ask you to have your way. Do what only you can do in this place. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Brian, thank you so much. And team, if you have your booklets, let's go ahead and grab those. You got your Philippians booklet, but also I hope you have your, your Bible. We, we, we don't want that to replace your Bible. This is wonderful for taking notes in, um, to staying in Philippians. But you know, when we're in this study through Philippians. We'll go to our Bibles in in other places. It'll send us there. So we want to have both, but go ahead and open to Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 to 26. Um, As Brian read it, he he did this, and I want you to know if you have this booklet, that what they do is that the editors have taken the first five, or the last five verse, five words of verse 18, and put them as the introduction to verse 19. Are you with me? So, you know, there are no verse breaks in, in the original. And, um, and so I think, I think this was a good move to put it this way. And the reason is, is it, it orients us to what Paul is talking about. Look at verse 18 there with me. Notice he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice, present tense. So he's looking back on all that Rob taught last week, 12 all the way up to here. And the aha moment, like, oh, I didn't realize that. But look, Paul's in prison. That's no hindrance to the gospel. There are rivals that are seeking to undermine him. That's no problem for the gospel. In fact, all those things, aha, they serve to advance the gospel. <clears throat> so Paul can say, as I look at what's happening, happened and happening, I can, in the present tense, rejoice. And, and, and then notice where we go in verse 19 is going to be, yes, and I will rejoice. So, so I just want to orient you. I, I rejoice, a present tense, 
and now I will rejoice. And so he's gone future on us and he's talking about future joy. What do you mean future joy? I mean, Paul in his present place can look into a tomorrow that is unknown and say, whatever happens tomorrow, I can tell you today, I will rejoice. It tells us that joy, when we, when we possess future joy, if I can say it that way, uh, it changes our perspective of our present moment as well as our future. And I'm telling you, when we get this or when it gets us, I'll say it that way, y'all, it radically shapes how we live day to day in our present moment. I don't want you to raise your hand. I want you to just think about two questions I'm gonna ask you. Um, how many of us can think about the plans we have for tomorrow? And Brian, your, your, your introduction to the Lord's table is so appropriate. You know, your calendar, you got a calendar, you got plans. Um, you don't even know if those plans will happen, but I want you to think about your day tomorrow. Just think for a moment. I, like if I think in my mind, I got to do this in the morning and I have a meeting at this, you know, and I'm going to plan this. So I got my day there. How many of us can look at that day, knowing it's, it's on the calendar, but stand here today and go, if nothing tomorrow happens like I have planned? In fact, if things go bad on some of these things, I can tell you today, I will rejoice. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand, you know, but I think some, some could, some would say that. Uh, let me offer another scenario about your tomorrow. Let's say that tomorrow uh, held, the, held the moment of your death. So now it's not just, oh, you know, I gotta be somewhere at seven. <laughs> I gotta drop the kid. No, 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 tomorrow you die. It's not hypothetical for Paul, is why I'm saying this. We know that he's been in prison some four years as he writes this. And so when he wrote the letter, he, he was awaiting, and we understand based on some timelines that he's in any day, I mean, it's been four years, he's getting ready to hear from the courts, you are innocent, you are set free, or you are guilty, today you die. See, there's not like you are guilty, and so you've served four years, we're gonna give you a five, you got one more. No, 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 it's life or death for Paul. So that's what his tomorrow may hold. And Paul says, we just, I just read it, and whatever's out there that I have no control over, I tell you, even if it's my death, let me tell you today, I will rejoice. Now, it's easy to put Paul's words kind of out there. Like, well, he's the apostle Paul. <laughs> I mean, he wrote half the New Testament. That's first, I mean, there are some missionaries that feel that way. There's some full-time Christian workers that feel that way. No, no, no. Let me come back to say and let Paul say for himself, chapter three, verse 17, he writes, brothers, join in imitating me. Join in imitating me. Chapter four, verse nine, he says, what you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things. What I want us to feel, quite frankly, to feel the weight of is that these words and all of Paul's words are not there as some, something beyond reach or for the elite. No, he, he's, saying this, he's saying these things about death. 
to say, and live like, think about it like I do, that you might live like I do. Does that make sense? If you're with me, nod. Like, like this is for me, this life and death stuff. Yes, it is, y'all. I can tell you, I promise you. Paul says it is. And I'll say this, until we grasp this, we've got to see death as Paul sees it. And I'll say this at the end, to live life as he does. Now, I've got the text broken up into three sections. Um, You'll see it up here, joy's hope, joy's good, and joy's glory. So here's the three sections we'll walk through. I'm gonna walk through these three. I'm gonna come back with three insights and observations, and we're gonna talk about one invitation to joy. We do that every week now in Philippians. Here's the invitation to joy. So let's start with um, verse 19. It's joy's hope. Notice he says, and yes, he says, yes, I will rejoice. So here is what I already said. Here's the future orientation. He says, for I know, he's going to name two things. I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance. So he's standing here going, death tomorrow. I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit, this is going to turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be, I will not be at all ashamed that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, the first thing I want you to see, I want you to see these two things through your prayers and the help of the spirit. Paul began the letter by saying, I pray for you. Um, all his letters pretty much begin that way. I'm praying for you. But here we note, he, he assumes they're praying for him. So see, Paul needed prayer. <laughs> and, and the fact that he could stand here with hope in a future that may be death had a lot to do with their prayers for him. Does that make sense? And I just don't want us to miss that. that in, throughout his letters, he encourages us to pray for one another. Y'all, in a way that I I can't comprehend, we'll take Paul at his word, but he's saying here something along these lines. It is my my joy and confidence in my day tomorrow and my future, whether life or death, is tied to your prayers for me and your prayers for me in some way. I I don't know quite the right terms here, but your prayers in some way unlock, uh, unleash, uh, allow the spirit to work in me in a, in a way I can't comprehend. Does that make sense? It's like, how do those things go together? I don't know, but Paul says it's their prayers and the help of the spirit. Those two things are inseparable. And I say it to remind us, you all, that all of us need others praying for us. It's not just like, I'll pray for you. We need the prayers of others. And it's through their prayers that the spirit works in us and our prayers for them that works in them. How many, I've known so many through the years that when you're in a difficult place or a crisis, many of you've said this to me, listen, I, don't, I can't explain it, but we just feel buoyed, carried along by the spirit. I don't know how we're making it. You know what I'm saying? And that's not like psychology. That's the Holy Spirit who lives in us responding to the prayers of people for us. So we pray for 
one another. Let us not take that lightly. Now, the most important interpretive decision we have to make in this passage, I want to suggest, is right here. It's, it, this will turn out for my deliverance. What, how, how are we going to define or how do we interpret what he means by deliverance? It is the Greek soteria. Soteriology is the term we use for the study of salvation. The word means salvation. It means to be rescued, delivered from. And, and some will say um, it is going to turn out for my deliverance, i.e. Paul's going to get out of jail. Now, it could, it could mean that, but I want to offer most theologians, and I would land here that what he means by deliverance here is what he means in the 17 other times he uses soteria, where it's salvation, i.e., in, in the end, when I'm standing before Christ, forgiven of my sins because I've placed my trust in his life, death, and resurrection, my ultimate, final deliverance. Why do I say that? Well, because he uses the word so often in that way and most often in that way. You look at verse 28, if you have your Bible or your booklet, he says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God, soteria, your soteria. So it, it's, it's used there as salvation. It's used through 18 times he uses it, 17 times it's related to final salvation. But also the context. So let me give you two, two pieces of context here that would make us see it this way. The first would be this. Note he says, and I underlined it, he said, whether by life or by death. So his deliverance, you see, yes, it could be you've been declared innocent and you're free to go. But he also says, you know what? Even if, even if I die, so clearly this deliverance, it includes the possibility of death. Does this make sense? So, so it's, ooh, he's talking about when he sees Christ face to face, his ultimate final salvation deliverance. The second contextual clue would be this. He says that I will not at all be ashamed. Here's a word, ashamed, that we take to mean in English, right? We'll go, it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm unworthy. It's that feeling of worthlessness, disgrace. That's not, the, that's not what the biblical term means. Uh, the biblical term is tied more to, uh, here's the English word to use there, disappointment, disappointment. Um, James Montgomery Boyce, uh, excellent Bible teacher, says this, according to scripture, the person who is not ashamed is the person whose trust is not misplaced. So not at all ashamed, get this, its trust has not been misplaced. You can hear this in Romans 5, 5. You don't turn there, but Paul writes, speaking of the gospel and of hope, he says this, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. What hope? Well, we know that how, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. The hope of the gospel of trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, you will not be disappointed if that's where you have placed your trust. Y'all, hope in Christ is never misplaced. 
And so what he's saying here, I wanna suggest with, it will turn out for my deliverance is not that I'm gonna get out of jail free. No, it's that, it, listen, at the end, when I stand before Jesus, whether that's tomorrow or 12 years from now, whatever, I will not stand there disappointed that I put my trust in Jesus. I will not be disappointed. Put your trust in anything else and you will be sorely disappointed. That's, that's joy's hope. Let's look at joy's good. Joy's good. I wanna go to verses 21 to 24. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Verse 21 is one of those, it's that coffee mug verse. We got a lot of them in Philippians. You know, if you are gonna put it on your coffee mug, you, need, you actually gonna need to do this, I would suggest, but you, it's even better on the coffee mug like this because here's how it is in the Greek. The Greek is so terse and just so abrupt, which he wrote it that way so that it, honestly, it would kind of be like a coffee mug. It would be like, I can't forget this. The Greek is this, he says, to live, there is no is, Christ, no and. To die, no is, gain. To live, Christ, to die, gain. So, so we'll note he's got live, and he's got die. Walk through the passage. I want to kind of I want to contrast these two. Some of you may be saying, "Wait, he can't choose to die. That would not be <laughs> that would not be right." And, and no, he can't. And Paul knows he's not saying I get to choose when I die. You see, we when we see that we, as we read this in this context, we go, "Well, Paul's obviously giving an example here. Not like I get to choose when I die, but he's he's trying to help us understand that life." or death, that's a win-win. That's what he's, it's a win-win. Now that's so different than the way I, I feel about death and we tend to see death. You know, we, we tend to see it this way. There's life, oh, yes. And then there's death. And the further we can keep these apart, the better. You see what I'm saying? And what Paul is doing here is he's actually, and, and death is awful. Please hear me. I wanna say, I, I, I wanna make clear on this as I talk about this. I don't want you to misunderstand me. When I talk about death, and Paul talks about death here, and we unpack this, death is evil. Death is the great enemy. Death is awful. There's no death wish in Paul. He's gonna write later in Philippians, God spared me great sorrow upon sorrow by basic, by allowing Epaphroditus not to die. It doesn't sound like someone who wants a death wish. No, he knows death is terrible and that death brings sorrow upon sorrow. It's, it's, it's no good, okay? So, so hear that and hear this. Paul says, there's not life and then get death as far away as you can. He comes back and he says, let me, let me help you understand this. Biblically, for those who follow Jesus, 
there's life and there's death and uh, they're really, they're really not separated. They're not like almost opposites, if I can say it that way. It's a win-win whether I live or I die. Now, again, I want to unpack it a little further. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. And when he talks about the flesh, he means if I keep on living, okay, physically living, yet which shall I choose? I, I cannot tell. He's genuinely, as he says here, hard pressed. Picture two big walls. I, I, I'm just like, I don't know. Life, dead life. I I don't know which one to choose. And he he genuinely means that. I I don't know which one to choose. Why would he have such a hard time choosing between life and death? You know, I mean, for me, it's like easy. Life, you know, I mean, he says life and death. Well, he says, this is so, so important. He says, my desire is to depart to be with Christ. So that would be death. So he he, he has a desire to be with Jesus, let me tell you, when you're with Jesus face to face, it's after you die or he returns. Now, when he speaks of this, to be with Christ, you all for the Christian, for the Christ follower, who, the one who's put their trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the Bible is clear. When you expire, when you die, you are, you are, your last breath on earth, I say this at funerals, is your first breath in the unhindered presence of Jesus. There's no sin, there's no, there's no body of, you know, there's no fallenness. It is, I, I can't get my head around it. It's pure life as you were made to experience in the presence of your savior who lived and died for you. That's, that's what he's saying. I desire that. And may I say, we just sang this song and, and you know, I love this song. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better better than you. And I, and, I, and I think, I believe that's true. If there's nothing better than Jesus, we would say there's nothing better than being in his unadulterated presence on that day. And yet, if we said, there's nothing better than you. And, and, and he said, well, if you die today, you'll be within his presence. We go, well, there's other, a few things a little better, right? <laughs> I think I want to stay around a little while. That's my honest thing, y'all. I struggle with this. And, and again, Paul's not, has a death wish, okay? I want to be careful you hear this. There's nothing better than Jesus. You all, there's nothing better than being in his presence. That requires death. He's taken the very thing that's our greatest enemy and turned it into the gateway to our greatest joy. Paul Paul knows that. It's my desire to depart and be with Christ. And he says this, he says it's far better It's far better, y'all. And by the way, this is a triple. It's a three times Greek word that he actually says, much more better. (laughs) It's such bad English. It's much more better, you know, but that's the point. It's that much better. And then the great contrast, but hold it, wait a minute, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So wait, wait, wait. So if I'm gonna live, i.e. for me to keep living this life, it's, I know I have a desire, but what, I'm, what Paul says is some, there's something else 
more necessary. See how he's going from, I desire, but there's something more necessary. Well, what's more necessary? Well, it's something to do, I, it's something to do with others. This is my desire, but I'm gonna, and, and hear this in an appropriate, healthy way. I'm gonna put, I'm gonna submit my desire under someone else's necessity. Now, again, I'm gonna unpack this further, but wow. I think that this is a illustration of what we talked about two weeks ago when I invited you to pray, Paul's prayer about love. I'm still praying it, and, and I'm, it's so good to just pray. May my love abound more and more today with knowledge and all discernment so that I may approve what's excellent and so be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus to the praise and glory of God the Father. That prayer, my love would abound. I, I suggest Paul is showing us his love abounding. Why would I say that? Because you remember, I said this about that prayer, that love, I, I, I said love, it was an act of the will for the good of another at great cost. Does that not look like it? Paul says, I'm gonna choose as an act of my will to remain for your good at great cost to him. Well, let's go on to this last two verses and we'll come back and pull some lessons, observations. Here's joy's glory, verse 25, 26. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. So, you know, he's, here we go. He's made his choice. I will remain. I'm gonna stay and live and I'm gonna continue. I'm gonna continue with you. Why? For your progress and joy in the faith. Now we've got, we've got down to minutia. Why stay? For the good of others. Well, what's, what would be good for others? Their progress and joy in the faith. And then he ends, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Glory equals the purpose of you being on the planet. God's glory. That's why you're alive today. That's why I'm alive. And God's glorified in this way. That we would choose to live our life for the progress and joy in the faith of others. Here's, here's what's crazy. When we do, you see, we're actually living for our own joy. That's, that's the mystery here. Progress, by the way, for your progress in the faith uh, that word progress, it's the same Greek word he used in verse 12 when he said, hey, all this bad stuff that looks like it's hindering the gospel. Mm -mm -mm -mm. You gotta understand, God's using that for the advance, same Greek word, for the progress of the gospel. So now we have a bookend on this section. Look, the gospel's advancing. And you know how it's advancing? How about this? It's advancing when you and I live for the progress and joy of another person's faith. Let me give three 
in, insights, observations, you know, statements that help us kind of pull, pull some lessons from the text, if you will. Here's the first one. I'll say it this way. One, and I said it already, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna restate it. One must see death as Paul sees death to live life as Paul lived life. One must, one must understand what death is and what it means if we're gonna understand how to live life as Paul lived life. We don't like death and we shouldn't. So hear me, keep hearing me say that. It's, we don't, it's evil, it's wrong. It's not how it's meant to be. But we need to see it as Paul sees it. This was a Time Magazine cover some years back. I was actually gonna introduce the message around this thought that there are many, uh, you know, in Silicon Valley and I'm sure in other places, but, you know, they kind of get all the attention. But uh, some of the founders over there in Silicon Valley have invested millions upon millions of dollars to, to cure aging, so to speak. As the Mag Time Magazine calls it, you know, to solve death. Uh, you, you know, there's some... That, you know, people freeze their bodies. You guys know there's Cyronics. You know, you get your body, you know, if you die, get your body frozen. And the hope is that 20 years from now, whatever killed you will have the cure for. We thaw you out and you live. And I mean this, there's thousands of people that pay thousands of dollars to have their bodies frozen. And so, so you know, it's like we want to solve death as if we could. Frank Thielman in his excellent commentary on Philippians wrote this, and I'm gonna read it twice, so just stick with me. Listen to what he wrote. Death is the worst possible event for those who believe that they have an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And our way of coping with it seems to be to deny its existence. Death is the worst possible event for those who believe that they have an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And our way of coping with it seems to be to deny its existence. Rob was working on his message. And, you know, we always have to watch each other's message so we can pick up and, and keep moving. He said, now watch your message. He goes, oh my gosh, that Frank Thielman quote, he said, that guy just took one of the most important sentences in, <laughs> in America and undermined it. He goes, did you get any pushback on that? I go, well, I didn't get any pushback on you, but he really does, doesn't he? Not, I, I, think it's, I think it's appropriate that we kind of, I've got a right to these things, right? There are inalienable rights and death is a problem here. We got to solve and technology can, no, 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 no. We're going to see death as Paul sees death. It's the great enemy, but through the gospel, listen, that enemy is conquered, conquered. Okay, number two, your trust in Christ will not ultimately be vindicated in this life, but in the life to come. Your, um, your, your trust in Christ will not be ultimately vindicated in this life, but in the life to come. Why do I say this? Well, Paul says this in the passage. He says, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. It's the word picture. It's three words. It's like head turning and away. That's the Greek words. And so it's this picture of, of turning away from certain things to, to look and, and see the one thing. That's the picture that he gives here. And what he's looking toward, now, what's what I want you to notice? He's not looking around going, man, people... 
I'd like my life to be, I'd like my choice in Christ to be vindicated. I'd like for people to say, that's a great choice. He's not doing that. See, he's looking for vindication that's out there. He's looking for vindication on that day when he stands before Christ. And I say that to say to us, if you choose to follow Christ with your whole heart, um, do, do not look for vindication from the world per se. Don't look for, it, 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 uh, if it comes, it's probably false, but it won't come. That's not where we look for our vindication. Our, our vindication that our, our trust has not been misplaced, listen to me, is on that day. Because terrible things happen to Christ's followers. Wrong things, unfair things, unjust, you know what I'm saying? So you can't say, you know, boy, you, your trust has been placed in the right place. You live long, you're wealthy, you're healthy. You're good. No, no, no. No, the vindication comes on that day and you will not be disappointed. Third, the way to experience future joy in your present moment is to live for another's progress and joy in the faith. Your joy and another person's progress in the faith are intertwined. How's your joy? Well, it depends on, are, are you living for the progress of another's joy and faith? You see, those things, they go together. And may I say this, living for another, person, another person's progress and joy in the faith, that is not the job of the pastor or of the church staff or even of the elders. It's the responsibility of we, of each of us individually. The moment you place your faith in Christ, this became your job description to help others progress in joy in the faith. Which brings us to our invitation to joy. Every week in in Philippians, right? We always have an application. You know, we're not gonna study this word and go, that was great, I learned a lot. No, we gotta go, what does it mean to me today? How do I live it? What does it require of me? So here's our invitation to joy. I'm gonna ask you to do something and then I'm gonna put the slide up. But I, I wanna trust the Holy Spirit to put something in your mind and I trust he will. So I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. I'd like you to close your eyes. Go with me here for a moment. Just close your eyes. I am going to make a statement and I'm gonna trust that the Holy Spirit is going to bring a, a, a face, a person to your mind when I say this. So I'll make this statement and you trust that the Spirit is gonna put a person in your mind's eye, okay? This is a statement. Imagine you are saying this. My joy is to labor for this person's progress and joy in the faith. You can open your eyes. Who is this person? There are many, but who is the person? I can tell you, no shocker really on this. Maybe y'all, this person's my wife, Lisa's, right? In my, when I say, that's my first priority. Maybe you'd say your kids. It could be others, but who is the person? Thus, our invitation to joy. Here, do, you, do we want joy, biblical joy? Here's the invitation. Labor 
for the progress and joy in the faith of that person. Everybody with me? Let's just start there. Now, are there others? Yes, and that's why I say and others. But by the power of the Spirit, what would it look like this week that whoever that person is in your mind's eye and the Spirit put that upon your heart, that this week, rolling in the back of your mind constantly is this. You're interacting with that person and it's in the back of your mind is, how can I live to further their progress in the faith and enjoy? Can you imagine how we would engage one another? We would engage them as Paul encourages us to. With that, let's stand together. You know, we, we don't always, but our liturgy includes generally a song of response. It is that opportunity to having vertically worshiped God, having fellowship together, having communed through the table, having sat under the word of God and having heard the gospel anew. We don't walk out those doors before we, God's people, respond to that truth. And and we do it often in a song, okay? So the songs matter. I could have summarized this whole passage in one verse. Like, you know, it saved all this time per se, but if I would have said, look, it's, it's several verses, but let me tell you what Paul's saying here. Here's what he's saying. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now, as always, and in the future, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. There you go. That's the message. Look, what, what, what's Paul telling us to do? He's saying, he's, he's saying Christ is to be honored in your body, i.e. in your life, how you live your life, whether you die or whether you live. <laughs> there you go. That word honored is the Greek megaluno. Now, the only reason I say the Greek word, I, I, I don't even, I, I, gotta stay, I gotta look up Greek myself just so you guys know. But why, do I, why would I even pick a word to say, not just to impress you, but to say, what's the first part of that word, mega? And go, whoa, 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 we all know what that means. What does mega mean? Just yell it out. What's mega? You got all kinds of sin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Supersize. <laughs> Make large. <laughs> That's... That's the, that's the idea, is it not? That we would, by living this way, we would make Jesus large. That doesn't sing real well. <laughs> but do you know what does and communicates the same? It's to say you and I are on this planet that Christ would be magnified. This is our song. This is our call. And this is our invitation to joy.